0: Uh, last Sunday was my first congregational New York City worship time.
1: And uh, it was a great time. Sam Paul did a great job preaching on expectations. What do you have there? So I kind of want to feed into what he talked about. Because he talked to us about having expectations. And we need to expect certain things in our lives. And what I want to talk to us about today is being transformed into the image of Christ. That needs to be every Christian's expectation. We don't just get baptized and think, oh, that's it. We need to be striving to be transformed into the image of Christ. That needs to be our expectation for our personal lives. Look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 17. Just because it's raining outside does not mean we're going to be downcast inside. So I'm going to need a lot of smiles and a lot of amens. I feed off of you. All right, all right. I was getting hungry for a minute there, but I'm good now. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And the Bible says again, in verse 18, are being transformed into his likeness. Now when I say transformed, sometimes you think, or oh, when a person is baptized or has a religious experience, they're transformed. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is an everyday lifestyle that's like Jesus. To be transformed, not by a one-time experience. Because baptism, it helps you, but you know what? We can't earn our salvation. That's the grace from God. That's what God gives us. You You can't reach out to enough people for you to go to heaven. You can't read the Bible enough to go to heaven. The grace of God is what allows us to go to heaven. So our salvation is something that we get from God. But the transformation into being like Jesus is something we need to put effort into. That's something that's on us. See, we can't just say, oh, I was baptized, so now, boom, I'm like Jesus. Slow that roll. We have to put forth effort to be like Jesus. You know, even a a, a caterpillar has to put forth effort into becoming the butterfly that God designs for it to be. Lepidology. I've been working on that word all week, just to say it right now. That's the study of moths and butterflies. And this is what the scientists do. They study these things to find out how is God's creation working out. For example, there was a study that they did with the caterpillars. And they stayed out the caterpillars they just watched them transform in the cocoon and watched them struggle to get out of the cocoon and then they would fly away with the beautiful wings that God designed for them to have. Well in this experiment they decided let's make a slit, let's cut the cocoon so the caterpillar does not have to struggle so hard to get out of the cocoon. So they did that on 10 specific uh, cocoons. And what they found is when the butterflies came out They didn't come out and flew away. They actually landed on the ground because they were crippled. Their wings were not mature because they didn't struggle to get out of the cocoon. So they in turn did not turn out to be what God designed them to be because they didn't struggle through what it took to become fully mature. If we are going to be like Jesus, we will have struggles. It's not to punish us, it's to transform us into being what God designed for us to be. What did he design for us to be? In the image of his son, Jesus. So our struggles are to help us be more like Jesus. See, again, you got to understand, salvation from God, transformation to Jesus is something we must put effort into. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Romans 12:1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy,
0: to offer your bodies as living
1: sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve that God, what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul instructs us not to be conformed to the pattern of the world, but to be transformed in the renewing of our minds. Now, here's the thing. You got to notice God is not only concerned with our actions. He's not saying do this, do this, do that. He's concerned about what we think. He's concerned about what's going on in your head. What's going on in your mind? This is what it talks in Hebrews four uh, verse twelve. It talk about the word of God judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Well, that's your your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions. God judges what you're thinking in your head. Even right now, you may be a little bit upset because you know I'm gonna go somewhere in this lesson today to challenge you. That could be upsetting. You could be upset that you know we have the kids sitting with the parents, or I mean, there's all, all kind of things Satan can use to try to get you upset. You could be upset at your spouse today. They weren't ready on time, so you had to leave. You're a little bit late. You could be upset with your kids, them little things running around. They should have been on time. Well, there's a lot of things that Satan can use to make you upset. But God says in all things, he can work it out for your good. Romans eight twenty eight. Why is God concerned about what you think? Because he's concerned about every aspect of your life. Sometimes we get confused. We think God just, you know, He's just here to help me just get through work. He's just here to help me get through my marriage, to get through my parents. God wants to take care of every area of your life. Amen. He knows everything about you. Why? Because his purpose is for you to be like Jesus. Look at Ezekiel 36. We're gonna go old school for real quick for a minute here. Ezekiel 36. That's the Old Testament, I'm sorry I don't know if I said that Ezekiel 36 verse 24 This is what God is saying to his people For I will take you out of the nations I will gather you from all the countries And bring you back into your own land I will sprinkle clean water on you And you will be clean I will cleanse you from all your impurities And from your idols I will give you a new heart And a new spirit in you I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. What is God saying here? God says he changes people. That's, that's what he does. He changes people. He wants every one of us to live a godly life. He's willing to remove that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, a softer heart, a more gentle heart. Look in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For, he shall, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You know, the Bible says, we shall be like him. Which means this is God's goal for us, to be like Jesus. He didn't say, you might be like Jesus, or maybe a little bit like Jesus. He says, no, we shall be like him. You got to understand, this is what God wants for us. We need to put on Christ's likeness in our life. Now, let me illustrate this for you. Say there's a river flowing down by your house. it's it's, it's flowing fast and it's flowing right into the ocean because that's how God designed it, to flow into the ocean. But right next to the river, there's this little paddle boat. So you decide, you know what, I'm going to get in this paddle boat. So you get in the paddle boat, and then now you have three options. When you go get in this river, you can either fight against the current of the river and see what that's like, trying to fight against the current of a river. Or... You can just sit and do nothing and hope that everything just works out. You may run into some rocks, you may run into the bank, you don't know, you're just going to sit and see what happens. Or thirdly, you can get in this paddle boat and you can paddle with the current and follow the direction that is leading you to the ocean. So you got three choices. To fight against it, to just sit there and hope it works out, or to work with the current and go in the right direction. Now, God's purpose for you is to be like Jesus Christ. You got three options. You can fight against God's transformational purpose for you. I don't want nothing to do with God. I don't want nothing to do with the Bible. I don't want nothing to do with this. Leave me alone, God. Leave me alone. You can fight against what God is trying to do in your life. Or, number two, you can just sit back and hope everything works out you know what, I'm just going to sit back and, if, you know, if this new program works and I'm all on board, if it doesn't, well I, I knew it wouldn't anyway, uh, we can just sit back and see what happens. Or thirdly, we can say, you know what, I'm going to work with God's transformation of my life. I'm going to put forth some effort so that I myself can be more like Jesus Christ. See, it's up to us which, which way we want to go with this. But the Bible tells us over and over again, we are to be involved in our Christian growth process. It's not something that just poof happens. We actually have to do something about it. Let's look at a few scriptures that talk about this. Galatians 3, verse 27. Now I'm going to kind of zip through these kind of fast so they'll be up on the screen. You can just read up there too. Galatians 3.27 says, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Now, clothe yourselves. You do that every morning. You get up and you clothe yourselves. Thank God. We clothe ourselves. That means you have to put forth some effort. Some people get up and they think, Okay, does this match? Okay, would I look good in this? Some people just get up and say, That's alright, I'm just going to wear this anyway. Either way it goes, you clothe yourselves. You have to make a decision. So again, to clothe ourselves with Christ, you need to think on a daily basis, okay, how am I going to respond and act today? Am I going to act like Jesus? Am I not going to act like Jesus? Ephesians 6.11 says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. It says, put on. Again, that means you have to do something. Put it on. Philippians 2.12 Therefore, my dear friends, if you you have always obeyed, not only in presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and tremor. It calls us to work out our salvation. I know a lot of people don't like working out. This is one situation you need to work out your fear. You need to work out your salvation. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. It makes me want to cry too, but we got to do it. <laughs> Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2:15. Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. It says, "Do your best." It didn't just say do, do a little bit. No, do your best. 2 Peter 3:18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, if you are to grow in this, that means you got to do something. You can't just sit there and think you're going to grow. No, if I'm going to learn about the knowledge and grace of God, I have to do something to learn about it. See, this is an amazing thought. God wants you involved in your transformation to be more like Jesus. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, train yourself to be godly. 1 Timothy 4, 7. Train yourself. That means you have to put forth effort. See, a lot of times this is where the problem starts. We like stuff, but we don't always like to work to get stuff. We kind of want stuff. And that's kind of where a lot of uh, people in our generation is now. They kind of feel entitled, like it just belongs to them. It's supposed to just happen. You know, there was a time that my kids said, you know, I needed some money. I'm like, well, get a job. You're my parent. You're supposed to give me money. That's what the law says. I don't know what law you've been reading, but in my house, you're going to do something if you want to get some money. A lot of times people just expect and want things just to happen. The Bible says you need to train yourself. Work out your, 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 your salvation. Clothe yourself in Christ. We actually have to do something. So if we're not doing anything, we're not being transformed into being like Jesus. You gotta ask yourself, if I'm not being like Jesus, then who am I being like? You ain't got but a couple options. The Lord Jesus builds above. You go on one way or the other. You shouldn't say that. That's offensive. Well, actually, that's just my intro. Now I'm going to start my sermon. So that all is my intro. That being said, how do we transform? How do we get transformed into Christ? There's three ways that God works to transform us. The first thing is God uses people to transform us. God uses people to help us transform. Every one of us here today, we have all been influenced by somebody. Whether good or bad, you have been influenced by somebody may have been your parents may have been a teacher a coach, somebody why? because God knew when you were born he knew the color of your skin how tall you'll be, your size he knew how much hair you have on your head if you have any at all he knew all those things about you and he also says you know I know they need to be in my church of transformation so I'm going to put them in the best place I can put them but God has had people in your life that have influenced you to be the way you are. I want you to think right now, somebody that has positively influenced you in your life. Just think about it in your head, whoever it may be. It, again, it could be a teacher, a family member, uh, a neighbor, anybody. God is using people to help you be more like Jesus. You know, in my life, my father uh, influenced me in a lot of ways. I never saw him take a drink of any alcohol. Actually, he took one sip of beer and he set it down. We were out hunting. And I think he did it just to be nice with the people around him. But he was like, "Ah, oh, nah, set it down. Because I never saw him drink, I never had a thought of even trying to drink, whatever it may be. That influenced me in a very positive way. He also smoked. He smoked so much he was addicted to it to the point that he had to have one lung removed because he had cancer. And then he still kept smoking. Even though he only had one lung. Now that influenced me also because I thought there's no way I will ever smoke. Why should I let the people around me that love me suffer the way that I'm watching my dad go through what he's going through. So there, there's been influences in my, by my father, both ways, positive and in a negative way. I've been influenced by my coaches. I've done some things that were so stupid Ooh, I don't want to talk about that. Okay, I'll tell you a little bit about that. And I don't want nobody bringing this up later, because sometimes I share things about me and then they come back, hey, you remember when you did this? <laughs> no. But we were playing against uh, 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 University of Nebraska, and I was on the kickoff return. And so I caught the ball on the kickoff return, and the guys were supposed to tell you whether or not to run out the end zone. So I started to run out, and then he said, no, stop, so I took a knee. But my foot was outside the line. So with me taking a knee, that was a safety for Nebraska. So I scored for the other team on national TV. So this happened, and they, it was a bigger deal. The blew the whistle, two points like that. Coach ran out on the field he cussed me out all the way back to the bench. Sat down and was still cussing. He, I thought he was going to have a heart attack. He was so red. He was cussing at me. I took my helmet off. He's still cussing at me. I mean, they're doing a the kickoff now. I mean, a whole nother play is going on. He's still cussing. He was making up cuss words. I am not. I didn't know what he was saying. And so I kind of laughed one time. And I'm thinking, dang, even no cuss words. You should not smile at somebody when they're cussing at you. He let me have it. And I'm sitting here like, man, I don't even know if I liked him or not anymore. I mean, it was just, it was such an intense moment. Now, don't go Googling that, Corey, and bringing it up later on. Let that go. But that influenced me and how I felt towards him and the situation. Because in my mind, it wasn't my fault. He told me to stay there, but it was my fault because I was the one in charge of it. So, anyway, I had to take responsibility. Wow, I got real sidetracked on that point, didn't I? Let me come back home. We all have been influenced by somebody. You know the guy that introduced me to the church? Invited me to church. I didn't study the Bible with him, but he invited me. I studied with other people. The day I got baptized, we had a little party for me afterwards. And that, at the party, he came up and said, Marisa I just want you to know I'm not coming back to church anymore. And I'm not having anything to do with God. On the day I got baptized, he decided he was leaving the church. Now... That, at the time, I'm like, that's just weird. You know, I didn't really understand what was going on, but I thought, oh, sure, you'll be back. But he never came back. And I'm looking at that, and I'm thinking, okay, so why did God choose this person to knock on my door and ask me to become a Christian, to come to church, and yet he leaves? I don't know if God said, okay, I'm going to give one last shot with this guy, or what. But what I do know is what he talks about, for us here in Mark 16, verse 15, when he says, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. I'm a part of God's creation, which means the good news needed to be preached to me. Which means each and every one of us, we have a mission to go out and preach the good news to all creation. So the question is, are you going to influence somebody else into being transformed into being like Christ? Better yet, let me have three questions for you. Who is God using to transform you right now? Well, certain certain questions get quiet up in this church. I notice that. Who is God using to transform you right now? In other words, who is involved in your life trying to help you be more like Christ? Second question: Are you allowing them to help you be transformed? See, it's one thing if somebody's trying to help you be transformed. It's another thing if you are opening the door and allowing them to be that influence for you because some people can, can, can feel it and not like it and they close the door are you allowing people to help you be transformed and then thirdly who is it that God wants you to help transform see that's the thing because sometimes when we're being transformed we don't like to hear what people have to say because sometimes we can't handle the truth That's what it is. You can't handle the truth. (laughs) So first thing, God uses people to help transform us. Secondly, God uses circumstances to help transform us. Look in John chapter 9. John chapter 9, verse 1. God uses people to help you. And I want to especially say this to our teenagers and young kids in the room. Your mom and dad are here to help you. Sometimes you may feel like they're against you, even college students. You may feel like they don't know what they talk about. They don't reach that age where they just can't relate and mentally know anything no more. They're not cool. They're not helped. They don't know nothing. They're just old. They're here to help you in life. We've made enough mistakes. We just don't want you to make the same mistakes we've made. So that's where our advice is coming from, our failures, so you can be better than us. But God not only uses people, but he uses circumstances to help transform us. In John chapter 9 verse 1 it says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is today, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Salaam, that means sin. So the man went and washed and came home seen. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging and asked, Isn't this the same man who we saw sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said no. He only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open? He demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go wash, to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked. I don't know, he said. They brought to the, Fer- they brought to the Pharisees the men who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he received the sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and received the sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know he is our son, the parents asked, and we know he was born blind, but how he can now see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. He asked, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, He is of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then he said to them, What he did... What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already. And you did not listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become a disciple too? <laughs> then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple? We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know him. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a blind man. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come to this world, so that the blind will see, and those who will see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. This is an incredible story of a blind man. His life changed. He was transformed in one day. Because that's what God is about. He's in a life changing business. You know, again, personally, my youngest daughter was born deaf. And when she was born, both my wife and I blamed ourselves. We we're just so stressed out, we're not good parents. She wasn't even born yet. We're talking about not good parents. I mean we had all these things that caused us to have doubts and insecurities and were angry with God. And I'm like, God, I'm a minister. Why don't you let some crackhead have a kid like that? Why me? I mean, seriously, this is what I was thinking. Why me? I'm trying to do your will. Punish somebody else. You one of these fake politicians who lying all the time. Let them be the one. Was mad at God. Then out comes this child. It says she won't be able to talk right. She won't be able to walk right. We're like, you know what? We just got to trust in God. Next thing you know, she's got these cochlear implants. She's trying to learn how to play the piano. She's dancing ballet. She talks so much now. We can't get her. It- She stood up after Cap and said, I want to be a disciple. She's on her last studies now and she's trying to make Jesus Lord. And I look at this and I thought, you know what, this is all all this, this circumstance did was build more faith in me and my wife. It, because we see a living miracle going on. You know now they have uh, binocular implants that they will implant in the blind people so that they can see figures. It's in black and white. You don't have to be blind. You don't have to be deaf anymore. In the way this world is, it's amazing what happens. Let me share. We all heard about Stevie Wonder. You know who Stevie Wonder is. He was born Stevelin Hardaway Judkins. Stevie Wonder. He arrived six weeks early. He was premature. The stunted growth of blood vessels in the back of his eyes caused his retinas to detach, and the oxygen pumped into the incubator because of his premature birth made the condition worse and caused him to be blind. Wonder auditioned for Motown, at the age of eleven, and founder Barry Gordy went on record to say he was speechless. At age thirteen, Stevie's vision uh I'm sorry, version of fingerprints became the first live track to reach number one on the Billboard charts. at at 13. And in fact, Marvin Gaye played the drums for him on that song. Not only was he blind, but in 1973, Stevie Wonder permanently lost his sense of smell after a serious car accident. He had a lot of issues that happened. But Stevie recorded more than 30 US top 10 hits, won 25 Grammy Awards, the most ever by a solo artist, won the Lifetime Achievement Award, Academy Award for Best Song, introduced into both the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the Songwriters Hall of Fame, Rolling Stone named him the ninth greatest singer of all time. He has been in the U.S. number one hits pop charts. He has 20 R&B number one hits and sold over 100 million records. All that, his blindness, his loss of smell did not deter him, but it made his character stronger. We have circumstances that we go through. But these circumstances are to help us be stronger and transform us into being what God wants us to be. A man born blind, a girl born deaf, a musician born blind and tasteless. But yet, God has done incredible things with each of them. I don't know what your situation is. Whether you're a single parent, whether you're in a financial crisis, whether your home is a mess in some kind of way, Don't let your circumstances determine your relationship with God. And then finally, let me close this thing out because I know some of y'all are ready to go eat. God uses spiritual disciplines to transform us. This is probably the one thing we have more guidance towards. You know, again, it says in 1 Timothy 4, 7, Train yourself to be God. 1 Peter 5, I mean, 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16. Uh, let's turn over there real quick. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16. That's right before 2 Peter. 1 Peter 1. <laughs> but just as he who calls you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. You know, Tom Landry was a coach of the Dallas Cowboys football team for most of three decades. He once said, the job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to achieve. You know, in the same way as Christians, we have to make ourselves do what our sinful nature doesn't want to do. Why? So we can achieve the goal of being like Jesus Christ. You know, Martin Luther King once said it. We all came over on different ships, but we're in the same boat now. You know what? Your situation, your circumstances is different than the person sitting next to you. But the end result is we're all now in the same boat on the same journey trying to make it to heaven. Don't let your circumstances, don't let your situation in life deter you from being like Jesus. There are people trying to influence you to be more like Christ. Let them influence you. Let them help you. Don't try to do it on your own. Don't get upset. Don't fight against the current. But realize God is trying to transform you into being more like Jesus. It's up to you. This is our part in being a Christian. It takes our effort to embrace the change and allow God to use us. When we do that, we then can reach our goal of being like Jesus. And to God be the glory. Amen.